0: I'm going to miss that music every time I come out. Okay, well, you guys ready? This is our last message on the book of Revelation. We are going to end with a bang. Strap on your spiritual seatbelts, and let's do this. And I, I would ask, be praying for me and my son Hudson, as well as Blake and Lauren Slatton, as we leave tomorrow night for South Africa. And the purpose of that, of going five days early, is we are going to plant All People's Church South Africa next summer, and this is a scouting trip that Blake and Lauren are going to be looking for the place where they're going to land. So it is very exciting for us, and then as you know, these, these different trips going into Thailand, we have a, a team on the ground, we have more team members joining them, it's going great in Bangkok, Thailand, as people are coming to Christ. And so these aren't just mission trips this summer. These are church planting endeavors. So please partner with us in prayer as we're believing for God to do great things. I uh, I was thinking about the, the closing of the book of Revelation and how the end of all human history wraps up in the last three chapters of Revelation. And I thought about the different billboards that have been seen across our city in these last five years. Has anyone else noticed, if you if you live in San Diego, these different billboards about the end of the earth coming? I mean, for a while we had about a dozen of them on the major highways. And then in, in, in 2012, there were these... Uh, Things about the apocalypse coming because the the Mayan calendar ended at at that time and the Mayan calendar that many people thought had had really been uh, good at predicting different dates. And so the great thing about doing an end time study is you come across different research and even different artifacts that explain why those predictions have been made. So I found a great uh, Mayan artifact. Can we just show that up on the screen real quick? Here's the Mayan artifact I, I, I found. The, the young Mayan brave comes. I only had enough room to go up to 2012. The chief goes, ha, that'll freak someone out someday. I thought that was good. <laughs> All right. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, we're going to, to begin talking about the great closing. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22. And the great closing, the the drawing to the end, all of human history in this era as we know it has three components. And the first component is known as the great battle. Can you say the great battle? Yeah. The great battle. Let's dive into this in Revelation 20 verse 7. It says, when a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of of the earth. So what we know is there will be a thousand year millennial reign of Jesus Christ and then Satan will be released one last time. His intent will be to destroy Jesus and all the people of God. Keep reading with me. It says Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle. So Satan is rising up this massive army. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. So what is Gog and Magog? This is an allusion to Ezekiel 38. I'd encourage you to write that down and study it later. And it goes on to list several other countries. These countries are all what is now modern day Northern Africa and up through the Middle East. And what scripture is saying is these countries will come and their desire will be to descend on God's holy city, the city he loves, which is the city of Jerusalem. Very good. The interesting thing is we are seeing this in many ways today, all these nations surrounding the nation of Israel with a desire to obliterate it, a desire to blow it off the map. Now look at what this says. It says this, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now once again, as we've been preaching through the book of Revelation, my intent today is not to make some prediction of dates and times where the end is going to unfold. Jesus was clear that it's not for you to know the times and dates, but he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. What our desire today to do is to show with certainty what Jesus does want us to understand as his people. And one thing he wants us to understand is that he wins in the end. The Bible says that fire will descend, and he will devour them. And then, this is the even better news, because it's not only a defeat of the enemies of the people of God here on earth, But it says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, the enemy, it's a, a thing to applaud about because the enemy has been wreaking havoc on our world from the first days until now. If there is pain in your life, if there is sickness in your body, if there is brokenness in your relationships, if you've experienced economic devastation, that is because the enemy is alive and well on planet earth. But you must know, child of God, that there is coming a day when the enemy will be defeated once and for all. And not only him, as we talked about several weeks ago, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they will all be given the final judgment they deserve. They will be tossed into the lake of fire, that is hell, where they will be tormented forever and ever. It's the only just payment for the being who has only wanted to inflict destruction and pain on innocent lives. Now we go on. It says this. In Matthew 24, and I want to look at Matthew 24 for this reason, because as we began to study the great closing of human history, and and Christians began to look at what's going on currently in the Middle East, and and we we start seeing the different ones that are being killed for their faith, and we're seeing the degradation of our culture, specifically in our nation where people are calling wrong right and right wrong wrong. Many Christians, their response is to grab a big bucket of popcorn, sit in their lazy boy chair, and just stay up all night watching Christian TV and listen to people just predicting when the end is. And that's not God's intention for us. So what is his intention? And we find Him in the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. It says this, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, The disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? See, they they wanted to know, just like us, we're like, Jesus, we want you to come back. Please tell us, when's the sign of that happening? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of birth pains. The beginnings of birth pains, this is what we're experiencing, men and women. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm until the end will be saved and... This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now I do want to say I believe we're seeing many of this. Many in the church are turning away from the truth. Many's love, passion for Jesus, desire to see the kingdom advance forcefully is growing cold. But even more so what Jesus said. He said, you will be handed over. You will be persecuted. Do you know that Christians are the most persecuted group on earth? Perhaps you don't know the statistics. 70 million Christians have been martyred since the days of Christ. No group has been more severely persecuted. And we just look at the last 100 years, starting with the the Boxer Revolution in China couple hundred thousand Christians. Then looking at Nazi Germany, we know about the persecution of the Jews, which was an absolute tragedy, but do you know that one million Christians were killed by Hitler as well? Fifteen million by Stalin. And then lately in Uganda, many of you have have watched what's happened in Uganda, 300,000 by Idi Amin in the 70s and, and 80s. And even now, what we're seeing through ISIS, tens of thousands, our media is littered with the beheadings and crucifixions of Christians and whole cities being ransacked. I want you to understand that Christians are being handed over, and we want, as the church here in America, where that's not happening yet, we want to stand in prayer and in faith with our brothers and sisters, amen? Because we don't know when that could start happening to us, and we want to be prepared. We want to be ready. And I want to tell you that there's coming a day according to this scripture that all those who have lost their life for the sake of Christ will be resurrected and they will be rewarded for paying the ultimate price. And they will reign with him. This is what scripture says. As we look at this and as we look at the unfolding of the end times, what Christians so often do, is they start trying to, to find their camp or, or, or trying to define themselves. Well, I'm pre-tribulation. Well, I'm, I'm mid-tribulation. Well, I'm post-tribulation. Well, I'm premillennial. I'm post-millennial. I'm millennial. And I, I just want to look once again at what Jesus says in his words because I believe the rightful answer is not to define ourselves in that regard, but we should be great commissionists. This is what Jesus has called his church to. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why are we so passionate about going to the nations around all people's church? Sometimes people say, you are so into the nations. Why are you so into the nations? I say, because we're into Jesus. And Jesus says, to go into all nations and make disciples. We just want to follow him the best we can. And furthermore, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. I realize that the only part I have to play in the end times is preaching the gospel to the nations of the world. My responsibility is not to sit in my chair and read every book and try to figure it out. I'm not saying don't study it. I'm I'm not saying don't discuss it. But what I am saying is spend your best time making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. That, That word, every nation, is pas, ethnos in the Greek. Pas means each or every. Ethnos means people group. And so here's what we know. The end will not come. Jesus will not return and bring that heavenly city to earth until there are people that have heard from every single nation, every single people group on the planet. That's why we have two teams right now from our church in India. There are 500 unreached people groups in northern India. The end can't come until they hear. But here's some great news. Our our team just this week led a brother and sister to the Lord. This brother and sister were so excited that they gathered 13 of their family members in their living room. Our team goes back. They didn't even know these people were gonna be gathered. They just went back to disciple these. They had their first house church. They started another house church and the wall of their house church butts up to the wall of the Hindu temple. God is moving. People are hungry. They wanna know Jesus. The question is, will we share with them? This uh, brings me to my second point, which we have to be aware of, that the first component of the great closing is the great battle, but the second component is the great judgment. The great judgment. Now, many of you are starting to squirm in your seats the second we start talking about judgment because you're like, don't judge me. I don't want to, I mean, that is not a popular word, right? You're not encouraging someone at their birthday party and saying, you're like, you're really nice and you're so judgmental and you you know what I'm saying, that's not how you'd encourage someone in our modern day, but I want to tell you that righteous judgment is a wonderful thing because it's the only fitting response to the atrocities committed by evil in this world. You better believe that you would want judgment if one of, of your children, I don't even want to say it, but you, you, you will want righteous judgment, and Jesus is the righteous judge. Revelation 20, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written or not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire in order for you to understand judgment you need to understand that there are books and there is a book. Over here, there are books. There there are little books that are written about each of our lives. Every single thing you have done, theologians believe, according to this scripture, that there is a book about your life with everything you've ever done written in it. Some of you are squirming right now. That there is a book about John's life, about Sally's life, about Jose's life. And it says that everything they've done is written in these books. On the other side, there is the book of life. There is one great, massive book. And inside it is a ledger. And that ledger is written names. Now, whose names are written in that book? It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Who is the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. Now, the problem is that you can't write your name in that book. It's impossible. Only one person holds the pen, and his name is Jesus. And here's the even greater problem. It says that everyone's name who is not written in that book is thrown into the lake of fire. So right now, you should be going, I want my name in that book. How do I get my name in that book? I need to be in that book. I heard a story of a a wedding singer who sang beautifully in this very extravagant, beautiful wedding in Seattle. And it was this multi, multi multi-millionaire. And after that, she was so excited to attend this reception on the top of one of these most beautiful skyscrapers. And they were gonna have the most amazing feast and this massive band, ballroom dancing. And so she sings in the wedding. She takes an elevator up goes to the entrance door of the reception. Her and her husband, she's so excited to just experience the lavishness of this reception. And she gives the maitre d' her name and he says, I'm so sorry, your name is not written in it. She's like, but I was the wedding singer. And he goes, I have express orders to only allow those who are written in this book to have entrance. You have to leave. And he looks at one of the attendants and says, Take them down the elevator and show them out the door. And she said, for a moment, I grasped what it would be like to not have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Let me just tell you how you can be sure today so you never have to miss that wedding feast and be taken down in the cargo elevator. The Bible proclaims some bad news, and it says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're without sin in this room, I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Incredible. No one. (laughs) We have all sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God, and the Bible goes on to proclaim even worse news. It says that the wages of sin is death. We have sinned against a holy God. God is holy, he is pure, he lives in unapproachable light. We are sinful. The Bible says that we have all sinned. You've lied, you've cheated, you've stolen, you've thought lustful thoughts. You are unclean. An unclean person can't be in the presence of God. That is the reason, my friends, that Jesus died on the cross. You could never be good enough to work yourself into, into God's presence. And so Jesus came as a lamb, as the sacrificial lamb. He took your sins in his body on the cross, is what scripture says. When he died his excruciatingly painful death, he was taking the wrath that you deserved. When he died, he took our sins in his body. When he rose from the dead, he defeated the power of sin and death. And then he offers you a new life. The Bible says this, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me just be very clear. It's not just believing in Jesus that gets you entrance into the kingdom. The Bible says that even Satan and his demons believe in Jesus. What the Bible says is if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you put your faith in him that you could never be good enough to get up into heaven, but you put your faith in him as your savior, that he died for your sins, and then you give him your life. The Bible says that you will be born again. You will go from spiritual death to spiritual life, and on that day, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and it can never be scratched out. It can never be erased. It can never be chiseled out. Nothing can get it out of that book. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by any works, lest a man could boast is your name In that book. I want it there. I want it there. Because once it's there, you as a believer, you don't have to fear judgment. In fact, judgment becomes a blessing because we are judged by these little books, what we have done in our life. Our sin is forgiven, it's washed clean. So, what are you judged for? You open the little book and you see the things you have done for Jesus. The Bible says even a cup of cold water in his name won't lose its reward. Every time you serve, every time you love, every time you tithe, every time you give, every time you share the gospel, every time you invest in your marriage, every time you say no to sin, every time you love your kids, every time you serve your neighbors, there will be reward. And I want to tell you, some people want to invest for the next 30 years and they're trying to all their great investments. I want to invest for the next 30000 I want to have a great, big, heavenly portfolio, amen? Because he says that he's going to pour out blessing, and this is where it is. Let me show you this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things well done in the body, whether good or bad. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how you build. Believer, let me tell you to be careful how you live your life. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Once you accept him in your life, you are saved. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because that day, which is judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's life. I'm telling you that there's coming a day where you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. fire will be dropped on the works of your life, what you've done for yourself, selfishly, just selfishly amassing stuff and and, and wealth just for your own comfort, for your own pleasing, all the way you've sown in your flesh, all of those things will be burned up. But the Bible says that the gold, silver, precious jewels, those will remain. If that person, if, if what's built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames, I want you to get to heaven and have so much reward because of the way you've lived. that God's like, "Well done, my good and faithful servant," and he heaps reward on you. I don't want you to be ones that get into heaven, but your tail is singed. You've just barely made it by the skin of your teeth. This is good news. Because God wants to reward you every time you say no to sin, every time you lay down your life for someone, every time you just press in in worship, he's just saying, yes, my child. And it's not just a reward right now, but forever. You will be rewarded for the way you've given your life to me. I mean, isn't that how you are, parents? Don't you love rewarding your children when they're honoring you? Don't you love rewarding them for what they've done in obedience? And that is how God is. He is so good. Let's go to the third component. The third component of the great closing is the great heavenly city. And I'm so excited to end this whole series talking about the most exciting place on earth, the most beautiful place. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Here is the amazing thing about the end of the Bible. It ends how it begins, with creation. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. In the end, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. The end is a new creation. And and I love this. It says this, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb." On Friday, I had the privilege of being at a wedding of some of our staff members, Ryan and Lydia. And My favorite part of weddings, I mean, I've gone to so many weddings. I've done more weddings than I can count. But one thing never gets old, and it's when the groom comes out and stands in the front. And he's all jittery and, you know, kind of shaking. And, and then the bride comes around the corner. Music changes, and she comes and looks at him from down the aisle. And, and every time I look at these brides, I looked at Lydia. She's like a spiritual daughter to me. I look at her, and I'm like, you've never looked so beautiful in your life. And she has this big white dress that looks like a heavenly cloud around her. and You know, her hair is just perfect, you know. Her makeup, you know, she doesn't even I mean, I don't even know what to say about makeup, but you, you just, you look, and you're like, you are stunning, and I love just looking at, and, and, and women, when they're getting married, all of a sudden, they're just so confident, right? I mean, you can take some, some girl that wasn't confident, and then she comes out in her wedding dress, and she's like, I own this place, <laughs> and so you, everyone just looks, and you just hear, oh, and, and, and all the cameras are taking pictures, but then I immediately, I take my eyes off the bride, because I want to look at the groom. And I love the expectancy, I, I love the emotion, you know, and they're all trying to wipe the tears off. And just, you know. And (laughs) the the joy and and the passion that you see, and and it never gets old to me. And the reason why is it's a picture, it's a symbol of what is coming at the end of time. It is when Jesus is waiting for you, the church, the bride, and he's saying, yes, yes. And and, and all of a sudden, we're not going to be like these weak little human vessels that are all insecure and stained and messed up. All of a sudden, we're going to be like that beautiful bride. Coming down. And Jesus is going to be like that groom going, Yes, yes, yes. I I love it. That Jesus would take us in a covenant forever. It's too good to be true. And and, and listen to this in, in Revelation 21. 9-16, Nine through sixteen, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewels, like a jasper as clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the west and three on the north. It goes on and on and on. And, on. and it says the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls, and the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide, and he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 in length as wide and high as it is long, and then skip on to verse 22, stay with me because this is just so beautiful, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp and the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, and on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let me just finish this message by describing this city to you. First, what is not in this city? Now, I just gotta tell you, I love San Diego. I'm in love with San Diego. But there's some things in the city that I wish were not here. There is nothing in the heavenly city that you'll wish was not there. First of all, hear this. There are no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, or no pain. I don't know about you, but I have lost a lot of loved ones that I care about deeply, and it has ravished my heart with pain. There will be no more death. You will not cry over the pain in your life. You will no longer see your loved ones suffer. You will no longer see innocent children being abused, neglected. There will no longer be tears, death, mourning, or pain. That is one thing that will be missing in this city. Here's another wonderful thing that we'll be missing is evil people. You'll be able to leave your windows wide open. You'll be able to leave your heavenly cars unlocked. Why? Because there's no evil people. There's no one that wants to destroy. There's no one that wants to kill. There's no one that's going to rape or pillage. The evil people are gone. It's driven out. Here's an interesting one. There's no temple. A Jewish person couldn't even wrap their mind around this from a religious perspective because their whole life had revolved around making a pilgrimage to this place where God's glory dwells. And the interesting thing is as you see the description of the city, it's described as a cube, as wide as it is, long, but as high as it is, wide. You know the only other cube described in Scripture is the Holy of Holies? in the temple, the place where God's presence dwells. Can you imagine a city that is the Holy of Holies? Like one person could go in the Holy of Holies. It was a priest with a rope tied to his leg, So if he sinned, they could pull him out of there. And and, 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 and there's not going to be any more, you know, you, you going in, you come into worship and you're like, wow, I, I think I kind of felt God that day. Like, Maybe, maybe, maybe he touched me or maybe I got the chills. I'm not sure. No, you're going to enter into the, into the city of God and God is going to be there. And you're going to be like, God, it's just everything in you is going to be touched by God. Here's another thing there's not. There is no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God is shining so brilliantly brilliantly huh. well made up a new word it's so powerful <laughs> there's no closed gates in the city there's no need to keep evil out there is no evil anymore you have access to the lord at all times and here's one last thing there is no longer any curse you're not going to walk outside and see your lawn dying anymore You're not going to stump your toe and then curse. There is no curse. You won't stump your toe. There is no curse. Your body won't age and atrophy. You won't get sick. You won't lose your hair. Praise the Lord. There is no curse in this city. So what is there? What is there in this city? Let me just read to you. Then the angel, this is Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Just... Feed on this text, my friends. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the street of the city. This life is not bios, It's Zoe. Bios is the life you inherited from your parents that will eventually decay and wear out and be ruined. But Zoe is the life of God. It's the river of Zoe. The river of the life of God is flowing down the middle of this street. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember the Garden of Eden and there was a tree of life that they could eat from and live forever and have perfect communion with God? It's back. (laughs) And now it's on two sides of a river. I don't even understand that. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. You're not gonna be like, darn, avocado season is over right now. (laughs) Like, avocados all the time, and watermelon every month. You can have them. This is the, no, this, this is God's life always accessible to you. And the leaves, listen to this, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no, be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So now let me describe what's in the city. The first thing is God. God is in the city. I mean you are going to walk into the city and you will be hand in hand with the living God. Number 2. It's it's tangible. It's it's concrete. It's stones, it's, it's gems, it's gates, it's walls. It's not some illusion. It's not some Buddhist nirvana that you're just escaping to some weird mental state. No, it's an actual tangible city that's more beautiful than anything you've seen. You, you take the most beautiful city on earth and it defeats it by a, a, a million times. And some people get a little claustrophobic thinking, like, I'm, I'm going to live in this, in this city. Let me just give you the dimensions. If these dimensions are literal, can we put our U.S. map up here? Uh, this is how big just the city that's descended onto Earth is. It, it, if you take this, it's from the southwest corner would be San Diego. It'll be all the way to Little Rock. This is one city. All the way up to St. Paul, Minnesota. All the way over to Olympia, Washington. But then it's a cube, so it goes like... All the way up like this. So it's so big that 1 billion Christians could live in it with their own 14,000 square foot mansion. 14,000. And that's not even like your little family living in 14,000 square feet. That's like me. I have my own 14,000. My wife has her own 14,000. I mean, well, that's 28,000. We get together add my kids, right? I mean, that, that is huge. And then there's still room after that. This is the city of God. Let me tell you what else is there. It's the peoples and nations of the world. All the peoples, all the different, the different ethnic groups have come in, and it says the wealth and the splendor of the nation's is there, a, you know, here's one thing I notice about San Diegans is, is we love to travel, right? And we're like, oh, I'm gonna go to Europe and I, I just gotta see the Swiss Alps and why do you have to like go down a gondola, you know, in a canal in Venice and, and then you've gotta go to the, the Fiesta in South America and I wanna go to the Serengeti and why? Because God has distributed his splendor in the nations. Imagine, though, India with no poverty. Imagine Africa with no war. <laughs> Amen. Uh, 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 imagine Russia with, with no power hungry leaders. Imagine America with no sensuality and no greed. And that is what the new earth will be like. And then Going into the city is people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, bringing the character of God in their own beautiful manner that they bring. And so, you know, we're going to have the best African dancing ever going on, right? And, and we're going to have the, the 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 Latino fiestas going on, right? And, and, and you just you just pick. Uh, and, at this knee, and it's going to be the greatest distribution and, and dis- display of God's glory in that. And it's all coming together in this beautiful kaleidoscope of peoples. And then it says this. We're going to reign with him. Listen to this quote from the theologian Dallas Willard. Let's put that up. We will not sit around looking at one another or at God for eternity. Some people are so scared of heaven. They're like, that's going to be so boring. I'm just going to be sitting there looking at an angel. Oh, wow. (laughs) But we'll join the eternal logos, that's Jesus, and reign with him in the endlessly ongoing creative work of God. It's for this that we were each individually intended as both kings and priests. Do you know you're going to be a king? Do you know that you're gonna be a priest? This isn't my idea. This is scripture, Exodus 19, 6, Revelation 5.10. His plan is for us to develop as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our place in the ongoing creativity of the universe. Wow. But here's my favorite part. The Bible says that we will see his face. We will see his face. You know, God had told Moses, no human can see my face or they will die. We had to have a mediator. Uh, The unholy couldn't be in the presence of the holy. But now, imagine walking through those gates And looking upon the most beautiful sight that has ever been and into those eyes of perfect love and accepting that gaze of perfect acceptance and you get lost in the glory and splendor of the living God. The veil is gone and you are face to face with your Father. And you are face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the ultimate experience of your whole existence. And that is your inheritance. And that is your destiny. Why don't you stand with me. I, I just need to say, as we finish the book of Revelation, that I'm so relieved. I have uh, never studied so much in my life for a series. I've spent hours studying, literally daily, this since January 1st. I've prayed more, I've, I've read more to preach this, but I also want to say, I don't think I've ever been so deeply touched by a book of the Bible that's given me a greater picture of what God has in store for me. And I I pray that as you have read it, that it's given you hope, that it's given you a peace because you know the end. But most of all, I I, I pray that it has infused a fresh passion and a fresh love for Jesus Christ, the author of and King of creation.